All right, hello and welcome everybody to episode 11, I believe. We've recorded a lot of episodes in the past couple of days, so I might be a little inaccurate on that. You know, I take a long time to edit, so there's a lot like in the back burner that I need to get done. But this is episode 11, I hope, and I trust in myself. Uh, today we got a special episode and a very special guest. I put out a little call on Twitter and people answered. And here is one of them. For our guest today, we have George Young. George, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, hi. Yeah, I'm George. Um, I'm originally from Wales, but I spent almost my whole adult life in Japan, actually. And, yeah, I've been gaming my whole life, and I am currently a freelance games journalist. So that's what I do for work. How come... Like, why were you in Japan? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> so my degree um, is in German and I just always like languages and language learning. And as soon as I finished my degree, I was like, well, let's see what other language I can learn. So I thought I'd just try out Japan and then I ended up there for almost 10 years. And uh, yeah, I've just come back to the UK uh, just under two years ago now. So um yeah, that's me. And uh, what made you get into games writing? So originally I was actually a travel journalist. Um, I used to do loads of traveling around Europe and things like that. Again, part of the like language learning thing. And then when I moved to Japan, I again thought that was going to be like a little short, you know, language learning hiatus. But I ended up staying uh, much longer, <laughs> I guess, than that. <laughs> So I couldn't really do travel writing when I wasn't traveling. So I sort mm. of transitioned then into my other big hobby, which was playing games. That's awesome. I got to tell you, it's been five minutes and I can already say that you're way cooler than me. Jesus. I don't know about that. I'm really not cool. <laughs> really not. So you're just working from home now, like yeah. writing about games and such? Yeah. How's, so uh... I'm mostly... Sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, I mostly write for NME at the moment, um, so I'm one of the news writers there, and then I do freelance for other places like Tech Radar. Um, I got a piece coming out in gaming soon, things like that. And uh, the biggest one I, I did IGN before, but that was a few years ago now. Oh, what did you do at IGN? Just um, I like... wrote a piece on Otome games, you know, like romance. Uh, novels for ladies romance games for ladies <laughs> so yeah that that's my niche is visual novels i think in in the gaming sphere i so i work for uh a site based in the uk jump cut play mm -hmm. and since i'm from canada it's like you know being in the gaming space and a journalist like i feel like in north america people kind of uh, go towards living in California because that's where like a bunch of game devs yeah. live and blah blah blah. Um, and to me, like at least from the outside, it seems like the UK-based like gaming journalism group is pretty close. Is that true? Like it, it seems like everyone's one big happy family. But well, yeah, but I think that's mostly on Twitter. Like we. <laughs> <laughs> like there is meetups and things like that because the the majority of um UK game journalists actually like the the people who work in the office is based around Bath which seems really unlikely cuz it's not that big a city 
but there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff going on in Bath. So I suppose if you're around there, you're more likely to meet up. But yeah, it's more that we just follow each other on Twitter, I think. And <laughs> that's how I find out uh, mostly, you know, when jobs are going or if someone needs pitching to and things like that is check Twitter. So that's, uh, yeah, indispensable to me. I've been at like my summer job before and people i don't go on my phone like a lot at work but when i do mm. i'm always on twitter and people are like why do you like twitter so much it's like i need it yeah need yeah it yeah <laughs> yeah like, i think people only... don't understand yeah because i don't have instagram i don't have facebook or i i don't even know what other people are on in terms of social media but i do know twitter which apparently not many people use now but yeah I like I still use Facebook as a way to talk with people just like messenger and stuff yeah. like that I usually I don't post anything but I'm only 24 and it, oh, like, wow. I feel I feel so old when I use it because like <laughs> again during my summer job I work with all these uh, university and college kids and basically the only thing they use is Instagram and it's mm. so weird and of course like everybody's on friggin TikTok but Oh yeah, um, TikTok. That's the new one. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's only a few years difference, and it feels like I don't. There's something so <laughs> different with with the younger generation. Even though, again, I am still super young. But yes. Again, it's like you, you go on these things not only to just look for jobs, but you need to make the connections too. Mm -mm, for sure, networking is a huge part of it, also. And also because I do the the news beat at NME as well. I use Twitter a lot actually to look at stories, what people are talking about. You mm. know, it's a it's a great source of information. As long as you then go and research that information, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Unless you're unless you're working at like a, a huge site, basically what you're doing is getting news off other people after breaks. And I find what a lot of sites do is, like, they'll do more opinionated news. Like, oh, here's what got announced. Here's sort of what we think or what it means, mm. stuff like that. But, um, well, you, or you get, can just... you get um, press releases into your inbox and things like that. Yeah. And then you yeah. also, um, sometimes you just see what people are talking about on Twitter, like a new mod or... Um, you know, like a, yeah. a, new, a new speed running thing or something like that. And that's sort of how smaller sites can break the news as well. What a good segue. How about we get into that? The fact that uh, you told me that you speed run <laughs> kind of the game we're talking about, which it's been seven minutes and we haven't even announced. But yes. today, everybody, we are talking about Pokemon Gold and Silver. Uh, when George came to me, they said they wanted to talk about the first gen of Pokemon, but I already talked about with Tony that with Tony not that long ago, so we decided to switch it up. Mm. Uh, and you told me that you speedrun Gen 1, so yeah, tell me a bit about that. That's so cool. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's a very strong term, maybe. <laughs> But I, I did used to run um, Wen24 Classic, which is where you play Pokemon Blue um, and you try and catch all the Pokemon in the game. So the 124 Pokemon that are available on one cartridge um, mm -hmm. as fast as possible without using Manips and other things like that. So it's sort of the experience you could have as a child uh, trying to catch all the 124 Pokemon. And my... Uh, my record is like 
eight hours, 21 minutes. Um, Dang. And the the actual record is like six and a half hours now. So you can really beat those games quick without any glitches or anything like that. And uh, I, I sort of loved that about it, that it was exactly how you could have played it as a kid if you had all the knowledge that you have now. Mm-hmm. See, uh, speedrunning is like that one s- section of the gaming industry that I, I just fucking love. It's so yeah. cool. And like... If you are obsessed with the game and you know mm. you can play it inside out, go watch a speed run because like yeah. you know people just br- not they don't break it but like they just know all these fine tuned details that yeah. like sometimes if you watch like developers watching like speed runs of their own game they're like we didn't even know this was a thing you know yeah yeah um, it's, it's really interesting actually like a lot of things that. People, you know, people love Gen 1 and they have this idea of Gen 1. And there's so many things that people don't even understand as they're playing it. Like, uh, like if you want to catch Mewtwo or something, the best way to catch it is actually at full health. Um, you get, you have what? better odds of catching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just um, you have to put it to sleep and then you have... I think it's with an ultra ball, it's like 20% chance of catching it. So Mewtwo is actually one of the easier Pokemon to catch in the game. Um, But yeah, people don't understand how the mechanics and that work in the game. So that's, uh, you know, funny little quirks of it. Yeah. And that goes on into Gen 2 as well. So what made you like get into speed running and like kind of, because like I said, I, I watch a lot of this stuff, but yeah. how do you take like the first steps? Like, what is it like getting into that community? So I, like, again, it's the same as you were. First, I was just watching speedrunning. Mm-hmm. And I tend to have, like, I don't watch TV at all, like in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sort of always like to have background noise on when I'm working or doing stuff. So uh, one of the things I got into was putting on really long RPG speed runs um, oh, while, yeah. while I was working. And, You're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the one of the big ones that I did a lot was um, there's a GDQ run of Final Fantasy VII, mm. and it's seven or eight hours long. It's quite long, and I used to watch that, and then at the end of it, I used to put it back on again. Um, I know the exact speed run you're talking about. Yeah, I yeah. literally know what you mean. <laughs> and I, I love the GDQ runs in that sense because I'd never finished Final Fantasy VII at that time. And when I was playing, when I was playing it, as in watching, <laughs> as in listening to it, um, I learned so much about the mechanics. And then when I finally decided to go back to Final Fantasy VII and finish it for the first time. Um, it was so easy to me because even with, with they don't use glitches or anything like that. But even just with knowing like the synergy of um, how the power soul works with Tifa and the death blows and things like that, mm-hmm. just learning about that like makes the casual play so much more fun to me. And then that goes into Pokemon as well. Obviously, there's so much that you can learn about Pokemon that makes it so much more fun when you play it casually. Then. Um, so Pokemon was another one of those, uh, and obviously there's so many Pokemon games, so there's so many Pokemon speedruns. So I Mm -hmm. think I sort of like exhausted all that content from GDQ, (laughs) 
And then one of the runners, um, 360 Chrism, I don't know if you, you've heard of him before. I started watching his YouTube channel and he often raced a guy called Shenanigans like a lot. And I was like, hey, I think this Shenanigans guy is pretty funny. So then I went to his Twitch channel and I started watching him. This is like three or four years ago now. And like then Twitch like just hooked me instantly. Like, just that you could talk to the streamer and, you know, that you can interact with them and that. I really like that. Um, so, yeah, then I started following Shen's channel and, yeah, and I guess I followed it for a very long time and I was there many days because now I'm, like, mod of that channel and, uh, like, I make Shen cosplays and things like that. Like, I'm too deep in at this point. And <laughs> obviously from that, I started watching loads of different speedrunners and things like that. So, yeah, that's, it, you know, it's one of those things where it slowly brought me in. Uh, first, like, one thing I constantly hear about speedruns and just watching things like GDQ is, like, how welcoming the speedrunning community is. Mm -hmm. Like, basically as a whole... Like, yeah. and how, um, you know, willing to help out they are and to create guides oh, yeah. and to really explain things. And I just find it super wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely love the speedrunning community. Like, um, yeah, I joined in and obviously, like, I'm a girl. I would say, like, 95% of the, the people in the, the Pokemon speedrunning community are probably guys. Mm -hmm. um like cis guys as well so there's not a lot of space there i guess but like it, it's not that it matters to them i think it's just it's not as interesting maybe to you know like women or trans people or non-binary people they don't tend to like take to speed running in the same obsessive way i think um mm -hmm. and so yeah there's not many of us there but if you join it like people it doesn't make a difference at all and that's what i sort of really loved about it uh my other point was and this is like kind of peanut gallery but <laughs> uh i remember watching the pokemon crystal run a couple of years ago it was done by keys yeah yeah that was so entertaining and like yeah. not even from a uh like mechanical or the speed running point the energy in the yeah. room and just like the entertainment value of him and the couch yeah and just the charity is so cool man if anybody watching if like again just get into watching speed runs because a like georgia said it's a great thing to put on in the background and B, <laughs> it's a great thing to just watch like hardcore watch and get into and I the entertainment watched, value. Yeah, I haven't watched that run in a while, but I think Shen is on the couch of that one. He's on the couch of a lot of stuff. He's very good at explaining stuff. So I think, yeah, that's why I took to his stream. Um But there's so <laughs> many there's so many different speedrunners there that you can sort of just pick, you know, who whose humor matches yours the most and just match that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So that's why I love about the Twitch community and the speedrunning community as well. And you said you don't do it anymore or? It's not that I don't do it. It's that I don't have like the time as much. Like there was yeah. uh, there was a time called lockdown um, 
when I didn't have to <laughs> to stick so strictly to work hours and things like that. So mm-hmm. like every uh, like five minutes I had or whatever, I, I would just you know pump up the emulator and have a little go on it. But um, I just haven't had the chance as much lately. But I yeah, I'm still in the speedrun community. Well, probably more so than ever, but just not actively running at the moment. But I do do. I I met actually um, another guy called Benji, who's another streamer in that chat, and we do some like Gen One different like randomizers and things like that sometimes too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do that probably like once a month. I'll do like a little uh, race with Benji, and it's sad because I used to be <laughs> like the the queen of Gen One, and slowly he started beating me every time now. So maybe I should get back to it. <laughs> And uh, I swear we'll get to like our main topic soon. But I, <laughs> I just I love speedrunning so much. Yeah. Um, something I constantly hear from games, even like like games that have been out a long time that have been people have been speedrunning for decades, is like, oh, realistically we've only hit like you know the twenty the fifty percent of the iceberg. Like there's still a lot we could learn about this game and how to break it. Like is again from what i've seen from gen one and two pokemon like people can break those games like is 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 there still a lot to be learned do you think or gen gen one i don't think so but what is interesting on this topic though is um now we had the remakes right brilliant diamond Mm -hmm. and shining pearl and those are massively built on the code of gen four which is commonly known as quite a broken generation of Pokemon because it has tweaking where you can um, cycle past the load lines and you sort of sink into the floor a bit and you can do some crazy things like bike all out of bounds and things like that from there. And now that these games have come out, the thing is, if you play it casually, you wouldn't even notice how broken they are. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is so many ways to break the game. There's the two major glitches is that you can store the menu. Um, so you can have a menu open while you're while you're walking around, and that allows you to get out of bounds. And the other one is um, that you can surf on land by mashing the <laughs> button really fast. You can um, get the barrel to hop up onto the land, and then you can go anywhere from there. So and like the way that those. Uh, those glitches have been found has led people to go back to the original gen 4 and realize that they also work in in the original games too so there's a lot (laughs) a lot of it um Mm. can be found from that so that was a really interesting journey um but in terms of like i'd say all the way up well i probably would have said all the way up until gen 4 until these games came out but i think the, the data of the first three gens of Pokemon, at least, have been mined so thoroughly. I don't know that they can get better at this point. Um, but the one thing that could perhaps get better is you don't always know which Pokemon is the best one to use um, because that's mostly just trial and error. So mm-hmm. there still could be a way where people are just like, oh, I want to try this Pokemon today. And then it turns out to, you know, to sweep the battles much easier. And, or a new Manip can be found as well. And Manips are, you know, very hard 
to find, you have to look at every Pokemon that will appear on every frame and realise which is the best one and then figure out how to get that frame as well is really difficult. So things like that can always be found, I think. But um, yeah, the older the game, essentially, the, the less likely it is that new, new stuff will be found. It's just crazy. Like, <laughs> And again, I think there's just no argument to be made that video games aren't art because it's, <laughs> it's just so cool and it's it's truly inspiring like how passionate people get about mm. just like literally a single game yeah like when you think about how much time goes into these games and again for anyone watching and you want to learn more about games you love get in to speed running i like Again, I swear we'll get into the main topic. <laughs> but one last thing. I used to be... And again, this isn't like a skill-based game, but I used to play so much Final Fantasy XIII okay, that yeah. I could play the game with my eyes closed. And I <laughs> thought I knew everything. Like, like literally, I could, I could do battles just by, like, audio cues yeah. and setting up my paradigms and stuff like that. And... <clears throat> couple years ago actually maybe not even that long ago i watched a speed run of the game and again that's a long game it's like an eight hour speed yeah, run yeah. or something i learned so much like it's so cool that's and, you know it inspires you to go back and check it out again that's really interesting actually and another great segue because the same thing happened to me actually when i was a kid um and i was playing pokemon on the game boy color and i broke the screen um, it was like black, I guess, like some of the liquid had got in or something. And I could just see the right edge of the screen. And I used to turn the volume up full and I used to play it by ear and the right wow. edge of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you can like get so into games that you can play them <laughs> blind for sure. It just goes to show, too, when you're a kid, like, you'll do anything to play a game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you were an adult, you'd just be like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> Or buy a new Game Boy. (laughs) But finally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we have arrived. So where did that journey when you were a kid, where did the Pokemon journey begin? So at the very start, it's interesting. Um, So at the very start, I bought actually some, like the anime was on TV. So I didn't get the first generation when the first generation came out. Mm -hmm. Um, the anime was on tv and i remember seeing like strategy guides in the shop but i was too young to know what a strategy guide was so i thought it was just like a book about a magazine about the anime i guess Mm -hmm. so i bought those and it was going on about moves and stats and all this stuff and i was like what is (laughs) what are they going on about i had no idea and then um i went to australia and I took like this stack of strategy guides with me to Australia and I was collecting like the Pokemon cards and things like that at the time and um, on the way back in the airport I saw that they were games and I had like a Game Boy at the time as well and I was like oh my god like to my dad like you have to buy us these Pokemon games because they weren't out in the UK at that time but they were out mm-hmm. in Australia um, and so yeah my dad bought me and my sister a copy of red and blue each and that's how it started and then uh, what's what i think is like only the genius move of a child in terms of like gen 2 
they came out uh, in America, I think, like, in October or November. Um, and I bought imported copies from America, even though they're more expensive. <laughs> but I had to do it with my Christmas money, so I had to wait then until Christmas. And by that time, they would have come out in the UK. <laughs> But I was just like, no, but I'll own them first. So that's the important thing. So mm-hmm. I think up until Gen 5, I think, I used to buy both versions. So I was exactly uh, the consumer that Pokemon was marketing to as well at that time. <laughs> so I imported both the gold and the silver uh, from, yeah, from America so I could have them early. And another thing about my original i still have the original gold box um i still have the games but i still have the gold box and um ken sugimori who does the art for pokemon and jim mutstone does the music they when gen 5 came out so this is way later um they were in london doing a signing and i went down to london and I parked outside. I can't remember the, the toy shop. It was just like the entertainer or game or something like that. Um, and I parked outside there from like really quite early in the morning. I think like 1am or something. Um, and they signed. And they were very surprised that I still had the original gold box. And they signed <laughs> that. And they signed my copies of um, black and white as well. So yeah. Um... Does Ken still do the artwork for it? He doesn't, does he? I'm not sure. I think he still does some. He still does the original designs. He drew a little Pikachu on my box. So he's still doing Pokemon at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, again, seeing it back in the day, what kind of drew you to? Was it the artwork or was it... Um, I guess it could have... The anime, like you said. But... Yeah, so when I was a kid, I just thought the anime was great and I wanted to watch that. I mean, now I couldn't care, which is really funny, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, but then when I started playing the games, I think it was that sort of, um, you know, learning about the types and things like that. I, I mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I wasn't like, well, as a kid, I did actually catch all the Pokemon, but that wasn't like always my goal. Like I, I used to set different goals for myself in it because I played them over and over and over again. And it would mm-hmm. be like using types I don't like or, you know, things like that. So even as a kid, um, yeah, it was just the variety, I think, in ways that you could play it that really attracted me. And that's still what's attracting me today, you know, with randomizers or anything else like that you can play. Yeah, it's it's crazy like how creative people get with their runs and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even know what a Nuzlocke run was until like five six years ago and stuff like that. Back in the day, um, I I think I've already told my story about how I discovered Pokemon. But a big thing was that my friends were always way better at it. Like they had a way <laughs> better understanding of Pokemon. And I was just kind of the dumb kid being like, oh, I'm just going to catch what I think is cool and go through the game and fight, like, gym battles with whoever I want and not yeah. care about types and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I was just I was just some dumb kid. And I just, I, I, I didn't understand 
uh, basically any of the mechanics or, or stuff like that. But but the thing is, I, and what I think is great about Pokemon and still is great about Pokemon, that is that you can play it like that. You can not understand mm-hmm. anything. And the thing is as well, Pokemon tutorializes nothing. So there's loads of hidden mechanics that you wouldn't even know. Um, and you know you can either decide to get really into it you end up you know speed running or competitive or you can just you know as um who is it karen in the e4 and gen 2 actually she says like strong pokemon weak pokemon that's only the selfish perception of others she says that right and that's uh mm. that's become a meme because the thing is is that you can you can finish the game with a magic carp if you want do what you want like <laughs> That's the idea. Just play with the Pokemon you want. You can do it if you're determined enough. Mm-hmm. I think I'm writing about this exact same thing right now for a feature, but uh, like you said, the game doesn't really tutorialize anything, or and it doesn't uh, force or even push you to find out about these mechanics, no. like stuff like IVs and EVs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And... and um, you know, maxing out stats or yeah. even even kind of more basic things like really using hidden abilities or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Do you think... Um, and I, I'm coming at this, again, from a very, very casual point. <laughs> as far as I, as, as I know, it doesn't really seem like there's a point or way to utilize that those mechanics in-game. It always seems like the point is to go to the competitive side is is that right, true right. Be- because well, you can say that right but if you take you know obviously i have just been playing uh shining pill mm-hmm. you take that i i was looking at twitter and you know everyone's like cynthia cynthia's a monster like you know you can't <laughs> beat her like her guard job wiped out my team and i was like I don't know, I just one-shot everything with a level 55 Roselia, which isn't even a finally evolved Pokemon. Like, mm. game's easy. Like, what are you talking about? And I really... <laughs> I actually don't know how hard Cynthia's team is because I, I, like, you know... So you can make it very easy for yourself if you know the mechanics. And that's what sort of is fun about it for me is that I can be like, you know, didn't even evolve my Pokemon, didn't need to... You know, and you know, you have people who, you know, think they have the the best Alakazam or Garchomp or whatever they got of all time. Because I tell people my team that I used for the E4 now, and you know, pretty dumbfounded. Uh, I had a Pinsir, <laughs> a Pinsir, a Roselia. Uh, like these are quite like uh, <laughs> what people might call not good Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. but um yeah oh i had a, a weavile and uh one other that i can't even remember now so yeah it you know that is an odd team <laughs> yeah i i try and always use pokemon again that i've never used before and i almost always box the starter as soon as i get it um so yeah mm-hmm. that's what i was playing with and uh, the new way that the gens work is you have the XP share, so you don't have to like focus on training up one Pokemon. So yeah, you know, I just play with Pokemon I find that I've never used before, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that'll do. 
I, I find it interesting what you said about like, you, you know, optimizing your Pokemon and how you have fun just like one-shotting everything. Because like I said, what I'm writing about now is that like, I don't find that fun. Like I don't find the, the, how the more you know about the game yeah. or I, I suppose, um, cause you know, there is no intrinsic difficulty really in my opinion. And again, like I said, this is coming from a very casual point of view. <laughs> but once you basically, like, all you have to understand is is type advantages and disadvantages. And oh. then it's gravy. I would say then, that type advantages are one of the least important aspects. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not that big a deal. But how, like, how so? Because, like, doesn't that calculate your... Your damage output and, like, multipliers and stuff? Okay, so, yeah. So, you're... Uh, let, let's think about something. So, if you look at more modern Pokemon, since the special physical split, particularly, uh, you mm. you have uh, a Dark-type Pokemon, Weavile... We'll use Weavile and uh, Alakazam, okay, as our examples. So, Alakazam, one is, like, super fast... And as everyone knows, the thing is an absolute monster as well. Its special attack is 130, you know, some legendary levels. It's super mm. good. And then if you take a Pokemon like Weavile, Weavile's also pretty fast. It probably has a good chance to outspeed the Alakazam, you know. And it's it's a dark type, okay? So it's a beneficial type. But if you have a move like Dark Pulse on your Weavile which is a special dark type move, it will do way less damage to an Alakazam than, say, Slash, a normal type move. Okay, and is that because it's not a special move? Yeah, right. So, like, uh, like Dark Pulse is a special move. Weavile's special mm-hmm. attacking stat is really poor. And Alakazam's special defense is really good. So even with the double damage of uh, of being a type effective move, it will still do way less damage than a physical move against Alakazam's absolutely paper physical defense. And Weavile has a really good physical attacking stat as well. So the Slash, with its high chance to critical as well, will probably kill it even though it's 70 power and i think dark pulse is 80 power and it's uh you know super effective and with the stab even that it's a dark type using dark type i haven't done the damage calcs on that by the way but i believe (laughs) that i'm correct Uh, (laughs) see i i just feel like the main games don't push that sort of gameplay in the sense of battles are just too easy to begin with to really like care about the the minute not minute details but like the finer mathematical details like that have you ever tried um, KOing a blissey with special moves no <laughs> because then but you I... would know that <laughs> like especially uh, again I'm talking about but blissey has the the maximum HP stat it's got ridiculous absolutely ridiculous um HP, but it has like 10 defense or something. It's it's nothing, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's got, 
I mean, not great special defense, but like, you know, I wouldn't even say average, below average, but it's, it's not nothing. It's not zero, whereas the defense is zero. So you can take out a Blissey with literally any physical move. It doesn't matter about the type advantage. It doesn't matter about anything. But if you try and kill it with special moves, you're going to be there for some time. Hmm. I may, may need to rethink my article. <laughs> um, actually, this is very uh, different, but I'm going to bring it up right now. Just because, again, I'm not going to have this chance to like think about this game in this capacity and have somebody <laughs> explain it to me in this way. So, sorry if you don't find this interesting, listeners, but... I find it hella interesting. So <laughs> let's break this down. Uh, ba, 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 ba. I guess my thing, I guess what the point I was trying to make is like, does the game intrinsically give you these challenges in the sense of like gym battles and trainer battles? Because from my point of view it's it's just basic like it's just you go to you know the water gym and all you really need is an electric type or you go to the fire gym and all you need is a water type and you basically just like one shot every pokemon and then go but, from there and the but are the you grinding i well see that's a thing in older pokemon games right like a and again, there's so many factors. Like if we're talking about Gen 1, then it's going to depend on, okay, you get to Brock, but what starter did you pick? Did you, If you picked uh, Charmander, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder. Like, did yeah. you catch a Mankey? Did your Nidoran learn double kick? Like stuff like that. And like you said, B, did you grind? But yeah. now in newer Pokemon games like Sword and Shield or Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, like you really just have to do trainer battles and go through the game. Like I have done very minimal, minimal grinding other than just like catching Pokemon to expand my Pokemon decks, which gives you EXP. But like, that's I just, would I'm say not... catching Pokemon is a kind of grinding because I didn't catch Pokemon. Oh, Crobat was my last. Crobat was my last. Sorry. I just remembered it. <laughs> I, you're right, but I guess I'm just not doing it for the sake of grinding, in a sense. Like I'm right, doing right. it just I, to... But I, I guess it, it again then comes down to what you think is fun. Because to me, catching Pokemon is not fun. Uh, battling trainers <laughs> is not fun. Uh, that sounds like really counterintuitive. Um, but for me, uh, figuring out the systems that manipulate the game that's what's fun to me so taking a game i hadn't played before like brilliant diamond and shining pill and being able to go through it and skip as many battles as i can and catch as few pokemon as i can and just you know finish it with my little team of four that was like exciting to me and like again going through the e4 which now has competitive sets which i thought was really interesting i think if you go to the e4 and you didn't do any grinding or you know 
you hadn't been taking advantage of legendaries or things like that and you don't know about Pokemon, I think you have a hard time. Well, I know you would because people have been tweeting about <laughs> it endlessly. So, you know, I think uh, there are just different ways to play it. That's it. No, like, again, I agree and I agree that everyone should play to the point, you know, where they think they'll have fun and the way they think they'll have fun. I just wish that the game either again this is a difficult argument because again i I was just gonna say like i wish the game would teach you this but at the same time i think the fun of pokemon is like you said the point that you don't have to know any of that stuff and you'll still enjoy and do pretty well at the game and you can beat it but i just wish i think what i mean is i wish the game uh a i wish there was difficulty options like that were that the game could impose on you directly instead of your own player made difficulty options right okay yeah or b there was still some way to learn about this stuff in depth in game because for again everything i've learned especially about playing uh most recently like brilliant diamond mm-hmm. stuff like shinies ivies evies the grand underground yeah like i've learned it all off of guides in youtube and uh, I... Ivy's they've changed now because Ivy's now when you encounter a Pokemon with good IVs, you get that little cutscene. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but that's it... something that was new. But again, they didn't. Uh, it's yeah, they, they didn't even explain anything, that, right? did they? Like they... they sort of show you because the first Starly, uh, like they say, like oh, this Starly's a monster, and you get that little cutscene. So. And that's not the exact text. <laughs> that's <laughs> my reinterpretation. But uh, yeah, so that's like the game's way of showing, not telling. And it, it is like subtle, but I feel like that, I, I think that's sort of good in a way. That you yeah. know, like, oh, this cutscene doesn't always happen. Like that, that's got to mean something. And then, you know, you have the, you have that app, which um, you talk to a guy in the battle tower and he lets you see the IVs of your Pokemon. And so then you mm-hmm. can like sort of piece things together yourself. I think that's very interesting. Ooh, talk about going off the rails. <laughs> I I don't know that it is. It's very Pokemon focused. So I'd say it's directly on the rails. <laughs> that's true. I guess what, what made you build such a strong bond towards the game initially? Because like you said, you don't enjoy catching pokemon (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny because when i was a kid like you say about the type advantages this this actually is really funny to me because what i used to do is i used like right at the very beginning of my journey i used to go around uh i'd scout the first gym you know uh it's uh the faulkner that's his name faulkner the bird guy and then I'd be like, right, well, I've got to go and I've got to find as many, like, electric Pokemon or at least, you know, not fighting types in the area. And I would try and build a team that had super effective moves against them. Oh, yeah, there's some Geodude and stuff in the area. Um, mm. And I'd be like, use the rock moves against that. And I would build, like, a team of six and then I would also, uh, I think his highest level is a level 12 uh, or 14, maybe. 
And then I would make sure all my Pokemon were the same level as his highest level. Um, and then obviously you just one shot everything, like you were saying. <laughs> and then I'd go to the next gym, uh, the next gym's bugs. So I'd be like, oh, where's my fire types at? Or, you know, like that. I used to play it extremely, excruciatingly slowly. And the mm-hmm. grind before the E4 was, um, you know, you go to Lance and you find out, you know, as the champion this time and you find out the top level of his Pokemon and then grind everyone to that top level. So, (laughs) you know, it was... I don't know why I did it. I guess because I was a child with infinite time. Um, But, yeah, even doing that, though, like, I really loved it. And, you know, that's back in the days of, like, battery and things like that. So even, like, I'd forget to save, my battery would die, I would... um, you know just put in your batteries and pop it on and not worry that i lost hours of progress and hours of grinding and things like that that's Uh, painful (laughs) yeah but i think like i remember just drawing down like a type effectiveness table as a kid and as i said i actually bought the strategy guides before i even played the games Mm -hmm. and i remember even as a kid like seeing seeing the strategy guides and seeing the type effectiveness and trying to like build a balanced team then I started getting into that and I'd have like one of each type on my team and things like that so I think even at that age because I think when the second gem came out I was probably 13 ish at that age I was starting to get oh probably a bit younger but yeah I was trying I was starting to figure out the um you know the way the strategy works and I started to get more interested in in doing it that way and being like oh whoa well, i'm way better than i used to be <laughs> and i think it was that improvement and it's the same improvement which i think attracts people to speed running too like actually doing the speed running you know seeing your pv get better and seeing yourself get better at the game and i think you <laughs> can actively see that as you play pokemon as well yeah i feel like even myself like playing again diamond like diamond right now mm-hmm. is like i'm more conscious of again when when i learned that uh uh you know the whole cutscene before battle to let you know the pokemon's yeah. good i was like oh i started looking out for that and i started paying attention to hidden abilities and just stuff like that so your point definitely stands um yeah i think the more you find out and like even you know playing gen one since it came out and when i started speed running it i found out that um i don't know if you know the badge boost glitch so in gen one it tells you but like when you beat brock um he boosts your attack and there's different gym leaders and they boost a different stat in your pokemon so all your pokemon are then 10 percent better in that stats so after brock your 10 percent better attack but there's a glitch where every time your stat changes, that boost gets reattached. So you'll start off at 110% attack, and then say you get string shot by a Weedle or uh, a Caterpie, then you'll be at 121% attack. And it'll go on and on, you know, it can go up six times. So you can, you know, get 150% of your attack just by being string shotted. And it works as well if you edit your stats. So if you use a move like Agility or Amnesia, then that will edit your stats as well. So I only learned about that, you know, 
two two years ago or something, and it completely changed the way that I play Gen One. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can always learn stuff and you know improve. And in fact, in the in the one twenty four speed run, you're you mostly use like a Dragonair, which is a very not good Pokemon. <laughs> so so whoa, yeah. you said you don't like catching Pokemon, but how come you do that category then? Because We're... I feel like it's it's really completing the game right (laughs) like that's really doing it and again that's like working out the strategy um of how to do that in such a fast time like saying that you really beat gen one in eight hours is like huge right like some Mm. people don't even do the casual well most people don't do it casually in eight hours yeah so that was interesting to me so you said that you, when you played Gen Two, you're kind of, you were definitely older than I was when I first played it. But <laughs> I'm a little um, bit senior, yeah. No, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I just, <laughs> meant, I just meant like two very different, I guess, uh, mind frames. Uh. Um, because you know you had a good frame of reference and you were so into Gen One. Did you have a lot of expectation, like going into Gen Two? Did you pay attention to things like? commercials or magazines to kind of know what what to expect yeah i think back in that day it was magazines more um because mm. actually we didn't have a tv for a long time when i was a kid uh, but i used to read like a lot of the gaming magazines and essentially if a magazine had a pokemon on the front then i got it so um <laughs> yeah so i i did a lot of the magazines and stuff and their expectations played in such a big part in Gen 2 because obviously there's the big Kanto reveal, which I still think is one of the greatest like plot twists in video games of all time. Mm-hmm. Gen 2 and actually the structure of Gen 2 is like, you know, it has its problems still, but it's one of my favourite... It is my favourite Gen in terms of its structure. I think it's really beautiful in that sense. And... Um, I remember, so when I first played it, I couldn't find Waterfall for the life of me. It's in Ice Path, (laughs) but I couldn't find it for the life of me. And I knew that I was only missing the E4 at the end. So I was just like, you know, I'm definitely going to beat the E4. Like, you know, my, my team is outrageous. So I'll just say that I finished the game. And it wasn't until like a year later or something when I went to like my second playthrough that, you know, I found Waterfall, I beat the E4, and then it was like, whoa, like we're going to Kanto again and we're doing all the gym leaders again. <laughs> like that was amazing to me. I couldn't believe that for like a year I felt like I'd beaten it when really I was like two thirds of the way through. I thought that was, you know, amazing. Uh, and there was no inkling of that right like in in marketing or anything like that like that was previously mentioned that's a that's such a big difference compared to today because i feel like if they did that today it would be everywhere like yeah yeah for sure yeah it was such a little secret and the thing is as well for for like a year i didn't even know it existed because not like everyone on the playground had even got that far Mm -hmm. and you know this is this is pre-internet times as well so yeah. you couldn't like go and search it like you know you didn't know and even you know i i was still buying like uh 
strategy guides and things like that and a lot of them only went up to e4 so it was like you know really interesting in that sense and it has you know read as well that secret boss at the end and I, I think all of that just really sets it up to be the one of the best structurally the I think the thing about the marketing actually that you said was interesting because um if you know the history of gen 2 it's actually um it was was almost not finished so mm -hmm. you know satoru wata the the famous you know late head of uh, nintendo he's like an absolute genius programmer and you know the pokemon team were working on gold and silver and they they couldn't condense the code small enough to get on the Game Boy cartridge and they took it to Iwata and he condensed it so much that they had space for Kanto then. So, you know, the, the reason that Gen 2 is... I think it couldn't be marketed that way because it was very late in the game before they even implemented <laughs> it. Um, and also, like, you know, if people don't, don't realise what a genius Iwata was, then, you know, Pokemon Gold and Silver is the, the real benchmark for that. And what about the structure of, uh, like, Johto itself? Because, it, you know, like you said, it's freaking awesome that you can go back to Kanto. But what about Johto specifically, like, when it comes to a design choice? Because a, a lot of the things I hear that people talk about is how kind of interconnected it is and how it feeds back to itself. Um, but also one of the negatives i hear is how small it feels well because it's interesting because once you you get to morty's town i forget the name of it um you get to morty's town and you get to you know the the burnt tower and you release the the beasts and then you you have that choice of left or right and mm -hmm. in pokemon's great style it doesn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> which way you're meant to go so i've actually heard that a lot of people beat price who's meant to be the seventh gym leader before they go and do the whole left side yeah um so that's like really interesting in itself and you know that structurally leaves it a bit odd because price i guess because you could go and beat him it leaves him like a little bit low level than what you're expecting and then on the other side you know some people go to jasmine's gym and jasmine is really hard you know with those steel pipes as well so to me i think johto was good i sort of like that and the choice and the way you sort of loop back on yourself um i mean pokemon's forte has never been the the dungeons and will islands i've actually never been in will islands because I've seen Will Islands and I've just gone, nope, don't want you here that much. Um, <laughs> because I, when I was a kid, I did the Tin Tower to go get Ho-Oh. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is the most horrific Pokemon experience of my life. <laughs> and I was like, I'm definitely not going to get Lukia after this. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I would say they could do with a, a bit of a redesign. Uh, Tin Tower doesn't look that hard to me now, but as a kid, I remember like jumping off those little ledges and just being like, "When will this end?" 
Um, so yeah, probably that. But I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it really hard to get the legendary, so I get that. But Will Island has those four entrances and only one of them goes to Lugia and the others take so long to go around if you realise it's the wrong way. And then you have to use Whirlpool and all that. So, and? yeah, it has its problems, but I, I think <laughs> the open-worldness is interesting. And you mentioned before about um, the hard steel type gym leader and yeah. a big thing about uh you know gen 2 is that they introduced these new types yeah um and you mentioned previously about like alakazam being a beast in gen 1 yeah uh and i i, I guess you know this is the one thing i know about pokemon is for anyone who doesn't know and i know this is like very commonly heard about pokemon gen 1 but the balancing in that game was like very broken and psychic <laughs> types yeah. were super overpowered. And I remember trying to explain this to one of my friends, like how broken Gen 1 is just from like oh, yeah. a balance standpoint and just like certain things not working the way they were intended. And he just didn't believe yeah, just me. A few, he yeah. was like, he was like, no, that was intentional. I was like, I don't think no. so. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, Sorry, can I segue? This is my favorite Gen 1 fact. Can I segue? Yes. Okay. So you're you're fighting Blaine. Okay, you're fighting Blaine and you paralyze his Arcanine. Okay? Mm -hmm. So paralysis halves the speed. The Arcanine then uses agility, which doubles its speed. Uh what what do you think Arcanine's speed is? Zero? <laughs> so the Arcanine is actually double its base speed, but you are half your speed because the game just doesn't know what to do with the paralysis speed drop. So it just gives it to you. It's like, what? Oh, it has to go somewhere and it can't calculate wow. it. So yeah, Gen 1 is... that. There's no way that is intentional and there is no way many other things are intentional. It's, you know, it's a thing. They were trying. Uh... <laughs> I guess my my question is like, do you think they did a good job balancing that in Gen Two after they introduced like these new types, like Dark and Steel? So I don't think Dark was necessarily what was needed to counteract Psychic, but I can get that it's uh, you know it makes it interesting in that sense, the same way that Fairy now counteracts Dragon, right? Mm -hmm. And it also makes Poison and Steel a little bit better because those two types are, you know, not great. But, um, you know, and when you have so many types, because what is it, 17 now? Um, yeah. You know, it is hard to balance that and try and make them all feel equal. And they're not equal. That's the thing. But you've got you've to play with it and see what feels good to you before playing it. Like, I still think Fire Type is terrible. And... People love fire type. I think it's genuinely one of the worst types. So, but the fact that some people still like it and use it means that, you know, it's succeeding in that sense. Um, but what really helped with the psychic balancing, because you're right, psychic was absolutely ridiculous in Gen 1. Um, so the first thing is that in Gen 1, your attack, your physical attack and your physical defense are two different stats. But mm -hmm. your special attack and your special defense was one stat. 
So Pokemon which were strong offensively, that were special Pokemon, were also strong defensively. But there were certain physical Pokemon that had weak, good attack and weak defense, or good defense and weak attack. <laughs> so automatically, special Pokemon were just better than physical Pokemon. So all types, all physical types, like flying, normal, uh, fighting, uh, ground, they were automatically not as good. Um, which is a huge thing because that's half the types already are just not as good. And then um, my favourite Pokemon mechanic, which no one uses, and the, uh, the game actually does try desperately to tell you about, is X items um, because a lot of the gym leaders use it um, and still no one I, I swear uh, not a single kid on this entire planet used X items no, um, no way <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, they so an X item uh, if you think of your stat as a ratio of 2 over 2 maths is basically Pokemon uh Pokemon is basically maths even, all the other way around. <laughs> so if you think of a stat as two over two, when you add an X item, you're adding a number to the top. So it'd be three over two. So you're now 150%. And if you use two X items, then you're four over two. So you're twice as good as before. And certain moves like Swords Dance doubles attack. Or like, because it raises by two stages or uh, agility raises speed by two stages, so that'll double your speed. And an X item, you know, can do that. And if you buy X specials, they're the same price as X attacks or X defense, but they only take one turn in battle, and they also raise both your special attack and special defense. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially, you know, two for the price of one, in that sense. So that's another reason why Psychic was so good. And then you have, uh, yeah, the types, like Ghost wasn't super effective against Psychic, I think, or if it was, it doesn't matter because there's only one Ghost move. There's Lick, which is 20 power, so it's useless. <laughs> and the same for Bug. Bug is super effective against Psychic, but they gave it Leech Life, which is 20 power. And they gave Bug Twin Needle, which I, is a multi-hit move. I think it maxes at 30 power, though. Only so, only Beedrill can learn it. Yeah, too. and only Beedrill learns it. So, you know, not exactly the, the champion, <laughs> the, the Alakazam destroyer that you need. <laughs> and it's poison type also, which Alakazam is strong against. So, you know, it just... It, it was more the move pool... It, that didn't have the counters so you didn't necessarily need another type but like later they made leech life 80 power and if you can imagine you know a, a pokemon with leech life then going up against the uh, alakazam you know a parasect or something maybe alakazam would have had a much harder time especially because as we discussed parasect parasect is terrible don't get me wrong um it's got three four times weaknesses um but it has really good attack it has like the attack stat of a legendary pokemon and alakazam has really poor defenses so you know while 
a parasect of leech life can't do anything because it's 20 power if they'd ended up giving it you know a reasonable power um then you know you could have taken down sabrina with a parasect or something like that back in the day um, mm -hmm. but yeah they did think about that later and they did start balancing more moves and they split the special so there's a special attack special defense and things like that so that, that it's more those things than the introduction of types i think uh, it's funny too because I, I just learned this today that even though that you know they tried to fix the psychic problem and they did split the special attack yeah. and defense stat even still not psychic specifically but Alakazam was so good in gen 2 because he could learn all the elemental punches yeah. which were still special attacks and yeah they were special attacks. yeah yeah the yeah, I mean, you, you you should have Pokemon that are better than others because that makes it more <laughs> interesting, right? If you are trying to play the whole game with a Beedrill, that's, you know, that's interesting in itself. Um, I, I do when I play Red, uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green. I used to do that because I didn't know. <laughs> I used to take Butterfree to the end uh, every, yeah. as my as my psychic Pokemon as a kid because it learned psychic <laughs> and stuff. And I was like, psychic moves are so good. And then it always got like one hit at the E4. And I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> but I mean, now I understand. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and the other thing that Gen 2 fixed as well is, um, do you know good AI? No. Okay, so this is, uh, it. good is with air quotes. So important battles in gen one like gym battles e4 rival battles um they gave the the ai good ai and the only thing that good ai does is that if it reads that a move is super effective it will use that move and the classic example of how this is terrible ai is that lorelei um her opener is a dugong and it has the psychic move, rest. So if you put uh, a level three Weedle into that battle, you will win. Because Lorelei will keep using rest on the Dugong because it's super effective against the Weedle. Um, so in Gen 2, they fixed that. Um, it still sort of does that, but it also does more checks. Like if it's a status move, that doesn't count and things like that. And the AI obviously has got more sophisticated over the years. But yeah, you don't have E4 battles now where, you know, the lead Pokemon doesn't attack you anymore. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I love good AI because it's very easy to manipulate with things like that. So that's actually how you um, evolve Ponyta into Rapidash because Rapidash is level 40 evolution it's and the highest level ponyta you can get is level 36 so you just fight lorelei a few times and you trick the dugong into putting itself to sleep first uh, <laughs> by sending out a weedle man i feel like every time i get not burnt out but like a little dissatisfied with these games just like i find out something new and it's super cool and it just <laughs> makes me want to play yeah, try um, that for you. Anyone can try that. Put any poison, ghost, any Pokemon in the front of your team for Lorelei. 
if you damage it even a little bit, like one, you can do one HP, then the dugong will use rest, and then you've got two turns. Two free turns to do whatever you want with. Uh, something that I remember, I definitely remember as a kid and playing now is kind of the, uh, the, not appearance, but setting tone or kind of difference between Kanto and Johto. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of describe it to, to the viewer? Because <laughs> the, the, the only way I put it is Johto feels like very rule. Mm. and uh, much more inspired by, like, I guess, more traditional Japanese culture. Yeah, so Kanto is based on the Japanese region of Kanto. (laughs) 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 Little, few people know, which is, um, like, Osaka, Kyoto, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, then every every Pokemon game up until I, I can't remember Gen 5 is New York right so I, I guess the first four are based on different regions of Japan and I think that's you know really interesting Hoenn is obviously my favorite because it's based on Kyushu which is where I used to live and I think the the thing is oh this is a Pokemon anime fact actually so Brock is commonly, you know, a lot of people's favorite character. Oh, when it comes to Pokemon, <laughs> you know, the the obsession with the ladies and things like that, people like. But I hated Brock as a I kid. Know! I found it so annoying. I like Brock, and it's it's funny because um, a big thing. I uh, I also do another podcast that's like directed. It's all about anime, mm. and we've talked about you know the whole. Uh, ladies man or perverted character kind of yeah. trope and I severely dislike it yeah. um, but it's also very hypocritical of me because my favorite One Piece character is Sanji and that <laughs> is like his entire character Yeah, but it's it's funny that you bring up Brock in that sense I and think like, Brock's okay because of the jokes on him like no one accepts it as okay I, I think that's every character like that to be honest Maybe. so like they they never get that far. It's always like the joke is that they're stupid and kind of <laughs> hopeless. Um, but then again, I definitely don't hate them now. But yeah. it's just not my favorite character type. But another point is that um, I've never really felt attached to any of Ash's other companions besides like Mo- uh, Brock and Misty. So. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> they are terrible um, but, <laughs> but anyway um so brock when they uh moved that anime well they they localized it um for the western audience they they decided that they had to get rid of brock because as you know brock's eyes are lines and they didn't mm-hmm. want like that asian trope to be in an anime in the west so that's actually why they wrote Brock out um, and they replaced him with Tracy or Todd Sketchy. I, I can't remember now. Um, they I think it's Tracy. It's Tracy. So they yeah. replaced him and people were just like, we want Brock back. So they wrote him back in. And I thought that was, 
I think that's what happened with Kanto. So like when they localized uh, Pokemon in Kanto, um, they just wanted something that was very generic for the general audience um, without like any tropes and things like that. And then mm. you get to Johto and you have the kimono girls and the towers and, you know, it's full of pagodas, that place. And I think that's when they, they tried then to like lean in more to the Japanese culture. And I think they understood that that's what a Western audience also wants. I mean, if again, with the anime, if you look at the the terrible original uh, translations, you know, the famous one is the onigiri, which they call a jelly donut and things like that. <laughs> Yeah. So they're just like, oh, Western people don't know what rice is. Um, so I think as it went on, they realized that, you know, we're open to learning about Japanese culture. Um, and that's why with Johto, they started introducing more, you know, purely Japanese concepts into it. I've never understood that aspect of like localization, like, oh, a Western audience or a Japanese audience aren't going to understand this concept from like another culture. It's like, okay, we might not know what it is. Like it might not be a thing here, but people are interested in learning what this is. Like it depends. So many, so many people play for escapism. Like let them kind of discover these new things. And, and, And I agree that when it's certain, um, I guess cultural concepts, it mm. might be a bit difficult, but it's a freaking rice ball, man. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you have the scale. You have, you know, Brock's jelly donut. And then on the other hand, you have those old fan translations where it's like, you will always be my Nakama. Editors note Nakama means friends. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a scale like that where, you know, you, you feel that you have to leave every word in Japanese because people don't understand the the cultural context of the word nakama and things like that. And then you have where you decide that Western people wouldn't even understand what rice in the shape of a triangle is. <laughs> yeah, so, it's... People, you know, we, we've got better, I think, at learning what people can understand and what people can't understand. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, trying to find that right balance. But, you know, it'll always, there'll always be that debate, I think. Uh, so, because, like you said, you're a fan of uh, Gen 1 so heavily, do you like the scenery and more setting of Gen 2? Or are you just such a big fan of Kanto? Um, so, yeah, actually, like, I think Heart Gold Soul Silver, which I can't believe we haven't spoken about, is probably my favorite <laughs> Pokemon games, the remakes, yeah. because it includes, um, a lot of the good things about Gen 4, like, um, how they split the physical and special moves, so no longer is it Psychic's always a special move, you can have physical, special, uh, you can have special type Pokemon like Psychic who use physical moves and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think that made Pokemon a lot more interesting. Um, so you have all that, but then you have it in Johto, which again, you know, it's my favorite structure and setting was um, Johto and Kanto. The reason that I speedrun Gen 1 and not Gen 2 is simply because Gen 1 is smaller and mm-hmm. there's a lot less to learn and 
I know everything about Gen 1. Like, I know pretty much where all the hidden items are and what they are. And, you know, I know everything. Um, mm -hmm. And because the setting of Gen 2 is so much bigger, I couldn't have learned that in such a small amount of time. So I think that's the reason that I speedrun Gen 1. It's not because I prefer it. Um, and also there is sort of the sense that I want to keep gen 2 sacred to me as my favorite and i think when you break a game apart when you learn it like in such minute detail um then sometimes you don't love it as much anymore or you can't play See, it casually anymore at the very least so it's I funny you say that because the last episode re we recorded on was ocarina of time mm. and i said that about ocarina of time that i've never fully beaten the game and that um, for so long, and I it's still like this, is that I build that game up. Like in the sense that you build up Gen 2. It's like, mm. I feel like if I fully play this and do everything, I'll lose a little bit of that like special magic. And mm -hmm. that it, it won't be this sort of fantastical or thing i've built up to be kind of more than it is in my mind yeah which you know is is silly but at the same time it can ring very true for some people oh yeah definitely i mean heart gold is the the one pokemon game i put the most time in i put about 250 hours into it and you know nowadays that's nothing when you see how long people play like sword and shield like they're, they're in the thousands mm -hmm. of hours now but at that time, 250 hours was a lot for a Pokemon game. Um, but yeah, Gen 2, you know, it introduced Shinies. And, you know, that's where, you know, they shoved that one in your face with the red Gyarados. <laughs> um, but that's where a lot of people, you know, first found their love for Shinies. I don't care for them, but, you know, if you like them, you know, enjoy that. But it is what... <sighs> Okay, it's not that I don't care for shinies. It's that I don't care for shiny hunting because that is a long process. And back in that generation, it's one in 8,000. Um, and, you know, going round and looking for 8,000 encounters to get a slightly different colour Pokemon, I don't know. But when you first find a shiny Pokemon and you see it, and in Gen 2 as well, they have the odd egg, which has a one in eight chance, I think, of being shiny. Um, mm -hmm. then it then like maybe you don't even notice and you're like oh is that slightly different colour than it's meant to be and then <laughs> you know sometimes they evolve and they're a very different colour and I think that was like you know one of those like an easter egg almost that they put in there and uh, another thing that Gen 2 introduced was Pokerus and what Pokerus is so interesting yeah. to me as well because I remember getting it so Pokerus is like one in really yeah, one in 22,000 or something. I remember getting it. I had a Gyarados and the Gyarados got Pokerus. And um, I was terrified. I thought my Gyarados was going to die. So I put <laughs> the Gyarados in the PC. And I was like, well, if I take it out, it could never die. Like, if I keep it in there, it can never die. So I put a Gyarados in the PC with Pokerus. Hoping it wouldn't affect uh... others and it wouldn't die. So yeah, Give that, a little, that one wasn't explained for sure. Give a little explanation as to what it is exactly, because it's kind of freaky. Yeah, so Pokerus, so every battle, like wild battle, trainer battle, anything, 
uh, you have a one in about 22,000 chance of getting Pokerus. And this is when you get very deep into Pokemon. Um, so, yeah, we've mentioned Eevees a couple of times. So Eevees is a secret stat on your Pokemon. And you can get it's up to 520 of them. And once you have 520, that's it. You can't get any more. So people, when they're building like competitive Pokemon, they make sure that when they kill a Pokemon, they're collecting the right EVs. So depending what the Pokemon is good at, we've said many times Alakazam has really good special attack, then they will give uh, that number of EVs back. So Alakazam will give three special attack EVs. And it works that if it's a first... Uh, first stage Pokemon it gives one EV, a second stage Pokemon gives two EVs, and a third stage Pokemon gives three EVs. So when you're planning for competitive, and I've actually never EV trained because that also sounds very boring to me, but um, <laughs> if you want to get very deep into Pokemon, you have to do it. Uh, where you'll only fight special attacking Pokemon if your Pokemon is a special attacker, and so on. And what Pokerus does is it doubles all the EVs you get. So it'll halve the time of that training. So it's it's very rare, but also like very good if you get it particularly early on. And it spreads as well. It's a disease that spreads through your Pokemon. So um, they catch it off each other very easily and makes your job very easy. And you might notice if you ever were lucky enough to get Pokerus very early in the game, that your Pokemon were a lot better than in other runs, probably. <laughs> and it's it's like this disease, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a virus. Yeah. It it can't travel through your Pokemon, can it? Yeah, it spreads. It's contagious. It spreads. Right, right. Sorry, in your sorry. Team. Uh, it's. Uh, I remember. I think I was writing or reading something about like Pokemon. Uh, not folklore, but like creepy things about Pokemon. Actually, no, I did write it. I wrote it back in the day <laughs> during uh, Halloween. And that was one of the things, and I found out about it by writing that. And I was like, yo, how did I never know about this? This is so weird and like creepy. Because uh, again, growing yeah. up, like n- nobody ever talked about it ever. So, yeah. The, like you said, the age of the internet was very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> for sure. Um,. But a, a big thing with, with Kanto in general, because of the interconnected map and um, some new features like the day and night cycle and yeah. using your phone, a, a lot of what the game sort of is is like these daily little things you can do. Like I yeah. remember when I was a kid, like I would... Same thing with you. I'd play so incredibly slowly because I'd get to an area or a new uh, route and I'd try and catch all the Pokemon. But then I'd wait till nighttime and see what new Pokemon there was. Or, you know, when you beat somebody, you can get their phone number. Maybe they'll call you and you can get... uh, You can battle them again or they'll give you a gift or something. So it's kind of... It's it's a weak comparison, but it's kind of like Animal Crossing in the sense that there's mm-hmm. these daily little things you can do that will sort of enhance your experience. Or you can just kind of ignore it and just go about as you play. But 
it's definitely a bit of a change from Gen 1. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, one of the things that kept me going back to Heart Gold Soul Silver for so long was those gym leader rebattles. And mm. I remember just doing those over and over again, and you had to call certain gym leaders on a certain day and, you know, go back and fight them, and their teams were much better and much stronger. And that was, like, incredibly interesting to find out, you know, and you can battle all 16 of them as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I... I I thought that, you know, not all of the additions to Pokemon, like Megas and Dynamax and Z-Moves and Triple <laughs> Battles and Rotation Battles and all that other things, uh, not all of them are hits. <laughs> um, but yeah. Gen 2 also came up with Double Battles, which now is the the main way of competitive Pokemon play. So, you know, I, I feel like you, you have to put up with a number of Dynamaxes um, to get your double battle, essentially. <laughs> um, and what about uh, the sort of plot of Pokemon in the sense of, I guess, just the basic story of Gold and Silver? Because there was things carried over from the first game, just like, you know, Team Rocket and Professor Oak mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But Pokemon games are always structured very similarly in the sense that they kind of use the same tropes over again like um and again you can fill this in a bit more because i've never played gen 5 6 or 7 uh, uh, okay. i've only played the first four and then sword and shield but you know you go from the days of thinking about gen 1 and 2 where it's like oh okay here's your rival here's team rocket here's like the same you know it's just the same basic thing over and over again and then you go to Sword and Shield, and it's like, here's Team Yell or Loud or whatever. Yeah, they're the not fuck even the bad is. guys. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, man, how is this still the same? <laughs> and, um, I guess, like, what's your opinion on sort of the flow of plot in Pokemon games, especially from, um, what Gen Two took from Gen One, and sort of the family-friendly aspect of Pokemon. So, yeah, the story... I think no one is playing Pokemon for the story. Absolutely no one. Um, but it still has, like, its own little interesting bits to it that you can see that they are trying to put in. Like, especially Sword and Shield. That makes absolutely no sense. Because I feel like they tried to make Team Yell the evil team, and then... I really hate Sword and Shield, by the way. They tried to make Team Yell the evil team, and then they were just like the gym teams, and they were like, oh, we've got to have an evil person. Um, or like, they were like, oh, we're at the champion, and there's not enough game, so we'll just make this whole, you know, evil sequence, and you go and fight Rose. Um, yeah, I hated it. With yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I really dislike Sword and Shield. But, you know, if people like it, they, they can enjoy that. Um, so, yeah. And, again, I feel like with Sun and Moon, you know, they got rid of the E4. They got rid of gym leaders. Only they didn't really get rid of gym leaders because there was still that whole, you know, trial business. Um, so, I feel like they were trying something new there. And obviously then they brought in the Galarian forms, which... And the Lowen forms, sorry. 
that everyone loves so you know sometimes you can get like a good thing out of that you know everyone loves a low and executor and a low and dug trio and things like that mm -hmm. so there is like some interesting plot points and what's interesting about uh two is that the rival the rival that you have that most people named question mark question mark question mark because they didn't realize that you were just meant to choose your own name which i think is a really fun fact he is giovanni's son which, really yeah yeah which is something um that you need to like talk to npcs and things like that to figure out but yeah he's actually giovanni's son and that's something that a lot of people don't pick up on so i think like the and like he was abandoned and that's why he's like sort of like that and why he thinks like he has to prove himself and you know he's gonna prove himself by catching pokemon and being better than giovanni was because giovanni was beaten three years ago by a dumb kid and so on <laughs> so i did not know that at all yeah 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 so you know then there is like that interesting element that it, you know is put into it like that um yeah, and like there's, there's like, um, you know, the fact that if you go to Gen 1 as well, the way that Giovanni, uh, you know, entered the gym and then he could like assert his power that way and, you know, people, you know, he was like, he got into Sylphco and, you know, it's like sort of this expanse of power, like even for a Game Boy game, you could tell they were like thinking about that. And, you know, there's the really sad thing, like, when you go to Kanto in Gen 2 as well, and uh, Blaine is just, like, living alone in Seafoam Islands, and Cinnabar Island is just, uh, you know, a wasteland, and things mm -hmm. like that. Like, it's, you know, it's wild that they did that. <laughs> and, you know, Blue's the new gym leader instead of Giovanni now, because he was the former champion, and... You know, and there's red up alone on the, the mountain. I feel like that is the best that Pokemon storytelling probably will ever get. Yeah, because um, yeah, you get to see all those old characters. And then, you know, there's the, the story of the Kimono Girls and things like that. I feel when you're looking at the story of Gen 2, I mean, it has that really boring Team Rocket section Uh you know, in, in the town with Price, which, I, you know, didn't need to be there next to the Lake of Rage. But um, the individual characters, I think, probably at their most interesting there. And that is probably because they had two games to flesh them out a bit, whereas you don't usually see reoccurring characters. Yeah. So. Other than uh, other than Red seeing... Because you get to see him in, like, Sun and Moon, don't you? Oh, I don't... To be honest, I played Sun and Moon when it came out and never again. So... Yeah. <laughs> he could have made a comeback, I wouldn't be sure. <laughs> um, but then, you know, sometimes as well, like, um, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, if you play the post-game, uh, you summon Rayquaza and... Oh, he eats his Mega Stone and then turns into Mega Rayquaza and you ride him into an asteroid, like straight through the asteroid. Um, and then you fight Deoxys. So sometimes Pokemon storytelling is exactly on point. 
like that. <laughs> you just got. I think if you're into it, you just got to enjoy how ridiculous it is. Um, but yeah, you know when it went to Sun and Moon and X and Y and things like that, it went like very cutscene heavy. And I think Sword and Shield, you fight Hop. Hop gets a lot of hate, and perhaps rightly so. You see him and fight him over 40 times if you do the post game as well. Really? Yeah. He shows up. Let me tell you. I would drive Hop off a cliff (laughs) if I was in the driver's seat. I hated that motherfucker. I gotta tell you though. I gotta tell you. His battle theme was a fucking bop. It was so catchy. Love it. Hop himself, dying fire. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I mean, Pokemon's always been known for really good music. I mean, listen now—you know, a whole generation is just discovering Cynthia's theme, and that is one of the the greatest final boss themes of any game. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Honestly, bye. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My favorite uh, so far is uh, Eterna Forest. I love the theme. Oh, yeah? uh, It's so, I don't know. I find it very relaxing and, like, chill. (laughs) Gen 4, I'm picking a Sinnoh Lake. There's a lot of uh, Sinnoh Lake stands out there, so that's my favorite. Uh, Now we get into the the fun stuff, the nitty-gritty. Oh, yeah. Uh, What is... Your favorite Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing Gen 2, if you had to do like a favorites run or like, y- you know, you you didn't play how you normally would have like picking Pokemon that you uh, never use. Like, who's your yeah. favorite Pokemon? What's your team going to look like in Gen 2? So, actually, my favorite Pokemon is Crobat, which I can't believe I didn't remember. was the fourth one of my team. I think because I was trying to think of Pokemon I never used, but I was like, well, i got to pop a Crobat on there because I haven't played um, with Crobat in quite a while. But I, I love fast Pokemon. Like, being, uh, being able to strike first in battle is one of the greatest uh, benefits. So fast Pokemon have this huge advantage over slow pokemon so i've always loved them so crobat always on the team um scissor is probably my second favorite pokemon so i'd definitely be uh repping my boy there he's um particularly i mean it's not gen 2 but when abilities came in you got the ability technician which means that all bad moves become 50 percent better uh, and that's a really great ability. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I really loved that about Scissor. And as well, at the time, you know, Steel is a great type uh, defensively. I I think Bug is a really underrated type, and I love it. I might even pick. I Her- love Bug type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might even pick Heracross because Heracross is a Pokemon I've always wanted to play with, and I never got a chance to. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I'm going to make a a weird choice now, but it's also another one of my favorite Pokemon. If we're picking only Gen 2s, um, Mm -hmm. i got to have a Shuckle. Do you know what Shuckle's... um, Yeah. Do you know Shuckle's (laughs) deal? No. So Shuckle has perfect defense. 
in both of his defenses. It's 250 in both of his defenses. Um, okay. And then 10 attack in both of the attacks, I believe. So uh, he, you can't kill him, but he also can't do anything either. And his speed is about five as well. And that's one thing I will say about uh, about Sword and Shield that's good. You can do those campsites where you hang out with your Pokemon and uh, mm-hmm. they keep the base speed. <laughs> so if you play fetch with Shuckle, about 10 years before you get it back um, <laughs> which I, I will say was a little easter egg that I really enjoyed um, but yeah there's a lot of fun things you can do with Shuckle, I don't think the move is in uh, Gen 2 yet because they made Shuckle more competitive later on um, but there's a, a move called Power Trick which will swap his attack and defence so then his defence becomes zero but his attack is insta-kill everything around him um, which can be pretty interesting, particularly when he has the sturdy ability then, because then you can't one-shot him. Uh, so I like that. And like Trick Room as well swaps your speed, so it doesn't matter that his speed is really terrible. But even in Gen 2, Shuckle gets the move Rollout, which doubles in power every time it hits. So you something like an X accuracy, build the accuracy, and you're just, you know... Any any battle with less than five Pokemon, you know, and that fifth Pokemon, nothing will survive a shuckle rollout. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's really interesting. And another thing that's great about shuckle, <laughs> sorry, is and this was an intended mechanic, is that defense kill plus rollout doubles. You know, it starts with a double straight away, so you're just doubling and doubling that attack. It becomes super powerful so yeah big love for my boy shuckle uh, <laughs> another bug type as well so yeah uh, if i was playing with pokemon i've never used i probably would use dunsparce because i don't think dunsparce apart from looking cute has any redeeming qualities and that's <laughs> it always interests me why they designed it it's just normal type. It doesn't have a good typing. All its stats are like really average. Uh, it doesn't have a good ability or anything like that. So that's like interesting in itself, isn't it? Um, I might do that one day. Some like Dunsparce only one. It's not the worst Pokemon by any means. But it's Pokemon like Shuckle or like Crobat or whatever that really interests me. Because Crobat's thing is it has... It's the fastest Pokemon in the game. It's that, you know, I like Pokemon that have like a really interesting, you know, thing to them. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really like that. What are we, is that five? Is that six? Five, I think. I right. think you said five, yeah. Hmm. I'd have to think about the, the last one. Because of the, it's, Dunsparce is normal type, but it's generally good to have normal types on your team because there's so many normal moves. And mm. I've said stab before, but I probably didn't explain it. It's like same type attack bonus where you do 150% damage if you're the same type as the move you use. So that's why normal Pokemon can be quite good. Um, and they 
are only weak to fighting as well and they're immune to ghosts so they're quite interesting in that sense mm -hmm. see i'd want a steel type but like steelix is terrible <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing good about about steelix really I just put him on my team for a brilliant time. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. He might, he might have got better. The only thing I know is, like, people love Onyx in Gen 1, and there is nothing good about Onyx. It might be the worst Pokemon in the game, because even, like, Weedle evolves into Beedrill, and Beedrill is better than Onyx. Like, Onyx has 160 defense and nothing else going for it. It's got, like, 40 attacks. Like, it's got nothing. <laughs> and it's got four times weakness. I suppose Steelix yeah. at least only has four times to fighting. Whereas, like, four times to water, when water makes up, like, 21% of the Pokemon in the game. That's a, that's a yikes. It's a yeah. yikes from me. Uh, no, people use Steelix in competitive, though. So I suppose it, it must have something going for it. And I suppose I have never used it. But I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I might pick a ghost type, actually, because I don't really use ghost types. Uh, people say Gengar is actually the best Pokemon in Gen 1 because there's so many normal types and normal type moves can't hit Gengar. So that's what makes it one of the best moves. And also because in Gen 1, um, the one-hit KO moves are, like, exceptionally broken. So... And, like, none of them, except for Fissure, hit Gengar. So that's, like, really important. Mm -hmm. um, and you only had the Ghastly line in Gen 1, which I think is, like, really sad for ghost types. The same as dragon types. Like, they only get that one little line. Oh, I tell you, I, I would I would have Kingdra. I would pick Kingdra. I think Kingdra is really interesting, okay. actually. Um, and that's a dragon type. So I've kept my remit there. And I don't think I've used Kingdra before either. But yeah, definitely have a shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you my team and you can kind of yeah. judge me on its viability. Okay, yeah. So, you can, I mean, strong Pokemon, weak Pokemon, yeah. Selfish perception. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd keep my starter. I would go for Totodile and have for Alligator. Well, it's got a um, fantastic ass, so you know. what? look look at the back of the Feraligator spot. Oh, right, right, will, right, right. You will never be disappointed. The Feraligator booty. <laughs> um, then I would have an Ampharos. Uh, I I actually yeah, when I was a kid, I used Ampharos all the time, and I really really liked that. So. And Mega Ampharos is a dragon type and is very cool. So I approve. Uh, I feel like this is a really weird one, but I love this Pokemon. Uh, Pineco. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then, and then have right. a Fortress, yeah. I, I, last time I played Soul Silver, I had a Fortress and mm. it, it wrecked somehow. I don't know. I just remember like wiping the Elite Four with it, but. Do you know what? Um, I, I highly approve. I've never I've never used the Fortress. And actually, I'm going to get rid of Dunsparce and I'm going to put it in because then that's using the Steel types, like <laughs> I said. So actually, I'm just going to steal, straight up steal your answer there. And I'll <laughs> pop a Fortress in, yeah. Um, 
I'd also I'd probably put Steelix on my team just because yeah. I like him so much, even though that's two steel types. So well, that's... you can you can have some of the same types. Like I've done it before. It's like even a terrible type, like where I've done an all poison team. Flying is actually my favorite type, so I, I often do like all flying teams and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's four. Yeah. Yeah, that's four. Um. See, I would, I would definitely have like Kanto Pokemon on my team. Uh, okay, I, I don't yeah. think I'd, I'd have a full six, but if I had to choose, I'd probably put Pseudo Wudo. Oh my I god! Like... No, that, no, that has killed me. You can play with any Pokemon you want, but not Pseudo Wudo. Why? It's awful. Is he? I feel like it's he's awful. Awful. He has no speed. <laughs> he has no attacking stat. I don't even know that it has defense. <laughs> it has nothing going for it other than it looks dumb. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... but I appreciate your gumption. Try, try <laughs> using a pseudo wudo and then come back to me. Uh. Six? I don't know. Uh... See, six is hard. I actually usually only play with four Pokemon. Really? Yeah, yeah. I try to limit it to four. Um, because when you play with six, it sort of gets too many. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I try and like balance the, the move set on each Pokemon as well. So I always end up always using about four. And if I use six then it's always like a couple get neglected and never get used anyway so yeah all right i'm just gonna cheat for my last pokemon because mm-hmm. my favorite pokemon is poliwhirl so i'm just gonna uh, put him on the team you're not even you're not even going wrath or toad you're sticking to will so i've never used Politoad. okay um and i know water stones are like hard to get in gen 2 there's so one. there's one there is? There's I thought you have to like wait for a trainer or like go to Kanto or no, something. Yeah, you go to Kanto, you go to Bill's house. I don't know if it's Bill, but it's someone in Bill's house. And I can't remember what you do, but he'll give you one electric, one water, one firestone, one leaf stone. I think you have to show him a Pokemon that evolves using it, but there's only mm-hmm. one. So if you use the water stone then that's it. You've only got Polyrath. You don't have Cloyster. You can't have anything else. That's insane. Yeah, I remember... it was a really poor choice, I think. But it's one of those I... ones where they're trying to get you to buy more, I think. I, um... The last playthrough I did of Gen 2 was the remakes, and I did it on an emulator, and I just cheated. I was just like, I'm, I'm just gonna, like, you know, put in whatever and get a get all the stones and stuff because <laughs> I was like I don't I don't want to wait man it's too long and um but for sword and shield because it's so easy to level pokemon by doing like dynamax battles or the max rate yeah. battles or whatever I just finally got a polyworld to level 100 and polywrath that was level 100 so <laughs> <clears throat> that was fun but yeah, yeah what do you like think of my team Overall, because I feel like it's absolute garbage. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think Fortress really interests me there out of everything. 
Uh, I love like, him. Feraligator obviously is like a good Pokemon. I don't like him, but like everyone likes him. Apparently, he's very good. So you know, I can't really fault that. Uh, yeah, I I applaud you for trying something different. I like the use of an uninvolved Pokemon as well. Uh, maybe try out Toad if you never have. I I haven't tried out Toad either. Um, it's it. That's another interesting thing that they brought into Gen Two, um, like Raph and Toad, because Toad is mm-hmm. a special Pokemon and Raph is a physical Pokemon. So it's yeah. like you can choose your path that way. And I think that's interesting too. It you know, it got a lot to it. It's got a lot to it. Um, I think we're kind of getting into our closing segment, but uh, you kind of already answered this question, but uh, I know Gold and Silver gets a lot of, you know, praise for having Kanto. Mm -hmm. It also gets a lot of uh, criticism for it. Yeah. Because some people think it's kind of like a boss rush mode or kind of like half-baked. But you said already, like, you love it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it probably feels half-baked because it was. They just realized, like, after Iwata fixed it, they were like, oh, my God, we have so much extra space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, like, they just put that in quickly. But I I feel like, and again, this is, like, argued, but I feel like that is post-game. You know, when you finish the E4, you get the credits. That's the game. And, like, that with that, Gen 2 started, you know, the whole thing of having, like, a really good post-game in post-1. I mean, Gen 1, you have Mewtwo Cave. But after you catch Mewtwo, you don't have any incentive to use it anywhere. Like, the E4 doesn't get better. There's nothing like that. Whereas, you know, you in Gen 2, you have Kanto and then you have Red at the top of the mountain. And Red leads with a level 88. I mean, it's a Pikachu, mm. so it's garbage, but, you know, like, <laughs> it's level 88, you know? So. It's hype as hell, too. Like, it's yeah. so cool. And and one of the things I like so much about it is just, like, it's that kind of um, stereotypical, like, silent protagonist thing. Mm-hmm. Or I guess, in my case, the the best example is kind of, like, Red's kind of like Michael Myers. Like, people want him to talk. <laughs> He's like this ominous right, figure. Yeah. And when you meet him, it's just, you know, ellipses, the dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and yeah. he doesn't say anything, but you just battle him. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was really... And, like, I remember when I found him as a kid and I fought him as a kid and he annihilated me the first time. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, that was the first time another trainer had annihilated me in Pokemon because... You know, some of the battles were maybe a little bit difficult, but like, you know, you had six Pokemon, so you always got through it. And probably I had, you know, grinded so many levels and such. But you were, Red was always higher level than you when you found him and way higher level than any of the gym leaders and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I just loved that as a kid. And, you know, I think, yeah, you can say it is just running... They, they put in a little bit of plot with um, the machine part and going to the power plant and that's up and running now and things like that. Um, mm. But yeah, it is really focused on seeing the gym leaders again. But I think that is interesting in its own way. And it, it 
I think if they padded it out with even more story, that wouldn't have been good. I think what makes it good is that it's a post-game extra content for people. Uh, yeah, it's like again. I never understood the. Well, I, I guess I understand the criticism, but it was just such a cool add-on, mm-hmm. and I feel like there was so much to Jodo to begin with. Um, and again, like we said, the the, the battle thread is just nothing short of hype as fuck. It's yeah, yeah. fire. Yeah, um, yeah. And I guess the last thing is that something I hear about Pokemon, and and what I know is that. They really only intended to make the first two games. Like they didn't expect it to be such a runaway success because it wasn't an overnight success, right? Like it only Pokemania only became a thing when it sort of came to Europe and the West and stuff like that, and um, and that when it got into Generation Three, there was sort of this huge shift in sort of tone and gameplay. Mm. Uh, and again, just from the way we've talking, I already sort of know your answer, but do you have more fondness for the old, older games? And what do you sort of think of newer generations? I know you already said you hate Sword and Shield, but so do I. So it's all good. <laughs> the thing is, is actually, I really like uh, Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, which mm-hmm. I mean, is both a new game and an old game, I guess. But I actually think it's a good remake. Um, so it's not that I don't think that Pokemon can surprise you still and actually I I, and I guess there's another argument that it's also a remake but I think Let's Go is an, another really interesting game you know and they tried a lot new with that and I think that is interesting and some mm-hmm. things are good and some things are bad and I think that's going to happen with any franchise that has gone on as long as Pokemon because we're looking at you know it's 26 years now right so you know it's gonna evolve and it's gonna change and it's gonna have hits and misses so uh whether i don't think there's any series where fans of that series love every single game um and i think that's a ridiculous expectation but you know you can still look at each game and appreciate what it did because the thing is i played sword and shield and i'm not big on it but i did play as mr rhyme who i think is brilliant (laughs) Um, (laughs) like that is absolutely hilarious that they they came out with that and i think the cinematics and the staging of the gym fights is really interesting Mm -hmm. um you know in the football stadium i think that was a really interesting idea and i actually felt like that was how gym battles looked when you were a kid and how you felt they should have looked when you were a kid so even though i don't like the game as a whole and i often pretend when people are like uh you know the switch pokemon games i sort of pretend that sword and shield don't exist but, yeah. uh, you know, you can still appreciate those things about it. And it's not even like the main series, like um, the new Pokemon Snap game, I thought was absolutely incredible. That's like, I think that was my second favorite game of the year. Like, I absolutely loved that game. And it's mm-hmm. as simple as an on-rails shooter where you look at Pokemon. 
but I had really interesting puzzles and new areas to explore and you know I just thought it was it was brilliant so I I think technically the my mind always goes back to the old generation but it doesn't mean that like abilities and natures and you know the way that that you know the xp share and all the new things that they've brought into pokemon it doesn't mean i can't play those and enjoy those even if maybe i prefer the older battling system is you gotta mm -hmm. sort of appreciate everything for what it is and appreciate the things within it that you like uh whether you like the product as a whole maybe I think that's very beautifully put. Thank you. <laughs> uh, is there anything you want to say about these games one last time, or how much you love them? Or I think Pokemon is just such a huge part of my life, and like uh, the the big thing that I remember is when I was like twenty and I was in university. Uh, I had like a DS. I think that was like fourth gen. We're about fourth gen then. And I was mm -hmm. playing for Gen 4 on my DS in my university room. And I remember, like, one of my housemates just came in and saw me playing Pokemon. And she said, didn't you think you'd be, like, over Pokemon by now? And I thought, yeah, I did. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, even in my 30s now, it's like, did I think I'd be over Pokemon by now? Yeah, I did. But I'm just not. But... You know, games aside, you know, we're talking about speedrunning and everything like that. Like, those are my real life friends now. Like, the people I met on Twitch and, you know, my boyfriend I met in on Twitch <laughs> as a Twitch mod <laughs> in a Pokemon stream. So, you know, like, Pokemon is such a huge part of my life that I couldn't imagine my life without it. And whether that's directly from the games or it's more from the community and everything surrounds it um you know i'll always be grateful for it i guess so yeah i really love talking about it, it it's always a, a pleasure <laughs> i am very glad you came on and reached out this has been a blast mm. even just not only talking about Pokemon as a whole, but especially your knowledge of speedrunning in general. Super <laughs> cool. Um, where can people find you? Uh, so I am on Twitter every day at VitaGamerGeorge because maybe the the other obsession I have other than uh, Pokemon is the PlayStation Vita. Um, and I also have my blog, which is Vita Paradisa. And yeah, I write articles for Enemy and other other different gaming websites. So if you think I'm knowledgeable about things, you can find my writings there as well. Perfect. And again, thank you so much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. I've been your host as usual, Sterling Silver. You can find me on Twitter at Silver Sterling, and you can find my writing and my articles on Jump Cut Play and Retroware. Uh, this has been our episode on Pokemon Gold and Silver. Thank you for joining us. We love you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>